Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Jim Hoven, your host for the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast and the Positive Impact Show. And I am here for another episode with someone who is doing some incredible things in the world of medicine. And she has a, a really cool background that we're going to get into in just a little bit. But it's, I think you're going to learn a lot about the inner workings of how a, 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 someone works who's thinking about uh, bringing care to a specific community type. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce my guest today, Ms. Paige Brophy. Paige, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for joining us. And I got to say congratulations on your new entree into the world of uh, medicine. I I'm excited to hear how you got in that direction. But you are uh, actually doing some work for the uh, Northern Colorado <clears throat> sorry, the Northern Colorado Medical Society. How does it feel to be the, the new, I guess, the executive director of that, uh, in that position? Yeah, no, it feels awesome. I never pictured myself entering organized medicine, um, but I'm loving it so far. Okay, so how does that happen? Tell us, especially since you said you never pictured yourself entering that. Tell us how you got there, and once you tell us, then we're going to reverse course and talk about you getting there. So first of all, what, what happened? What are the sequence of events that helps you get into the Northern Colorado Medical Society? Well, I guess first you have to major in journalism in college. <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, I've had a nonprofit background for quite some time, and I was looking to make a geographic change personally. Northern Colorado area is my favorite part of the state. Um, I went to school up here at CSU, so that's when I fell in love with it, and moved back to the Denver metro area for a while after undergrad just to start my career and then this amazing opportunity came up um, for the new director of the Northern Colorado Medical Society and so you know I talked to some of the board members and I really researched it and I was like wow this seems like an amazing opportunity and they were looking to make a shift um, to really work with somebody that had the nonprofit background to see where they could go um, especially because this region is huge there's component medical societies all over the place. There's Foothills, which covers Jefferson County, Adams County, there's Pueblo, there's Colorado Springs, but Northern Colorado um, is the biggest component society in the state. We have over 800 physician members. So huge opportunity up here. And so I just uh, took a leap of faith and decided to challenge myself. Okay. So now we're going to start working backward because that does sound like a challenge in uh, you know, as a as a uh, licensed chiropractor, I work a lot with medical doctors. And of course, at the law firm, we work with medical doctors for our clients who have been injured in crashes and all that. And so, I know that just like chiropractors in the medical doctor world, it's like herding cats, right? With respect to all kinds yeah. of different personalities and how they feel about stuff and all these other things. So, I'm really, you know, God bless you for for taking on that role to try to round that community up and, and get them all unified. So that's super cool. You you went to CSU and by the way so did I so you know go Rams and and that whole yeah, thing we love Rams. we love the Rammies. When you were studying, where did you make the connection between journalism and nonprofit? How did that come about? Yeah, so journalism, I really took the side of business, really focusing on public relations. And my first job out of undergrad was actually for the Outdoor Lab Foundation. And that was where I got into nonprofit, the sphere of them at least. Outdoor Lab was a program that completely changed my life. So nonprofit wasn't something that I was necessarily looking to get into, but when I started, I realized that I just truly loved it. I am a very odd person. I love working with boards, which everyone is usually like, nope, we want to stay away from board of directors. <laughs> 
I eventually, you know, want to have my own business where I just come in and flip boards. So instead of flipping houses, I'm just going to flip board of directors and give them fresh perspective. Oh, um, nice. And does that mean you change yeah. people of boards or you change the mind of the board members? How does that, what does flipping a board look like? It can be a little bit of both, um, depending on how open the entire board is to changing their minds. Sometimes, you know, the board, some board members leave that have been there for a while that are not ready for a big change. But yeah, that's really what it looks like. You're really realigning visions because typically nonprofits suffer from something that I call the bucket theory. So they have way too many buckets open of things that they want to do um, because there's so much change that you can do in the world but then they're not filling their buckets all the way to the top. They're just filling them barely. So then you just choose one bucket, fill it all the way to the top, and then add another bucket. Um, so that's really what I've been doing both with Outdoor Lab and then when I moved on to the Northern Colorado Medical Society, we started that process. So it's something that I'm super passionate about. And I think journalism gave me that background of communications. How do you communicate with a diverse group of people, different stakeholders, and then how do you also put brand management into that? Wow, that is really cool. And when when you say, I'm interested in, in exploring a little bit about the board flipping concept because I've never heard of that. And I don't know that many people have heard of that. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. And then how Outdoor Lab changed your life. Because what I've gotten so far from our conversation is that it changed your life towards a nonprofit slant. But was, were there other ways that um, Outdoor Lab did that. And just for those people that don't know, I'll let you explain it because you'll do a better justice than me, but my kids went to Outdoor Lab. Now, my kids are now 23 to 35, right? So they're actually 24 to 35. And when you look at it, all of them went through Outdoor Lab in fifth or sixth grade or whenever it is that you go and they spend time in nature doing things to, to help them understand a little bit about the natural world and the beauty of nature. But can you share with us a little bit about Outdoor Lab, your experience there, and what besides the nonprofit side really, really hit home with you? Yeah, so you're correct. Outdoor Lab, every sixth grade kiddo goes. We've had over 385,000 students attend this program in the last 64 years. Um, so it's actually the longest running outdoor program in the United States at this point. So super special that it's right here at home. And when I went to Outdoor Lab, I was a super quiet kid, very shy. And now everybody that knows me is just shocked when they hear that. I just came home a completely different child. Um, it's so much more than science. It's really about, you know, that's a pivotal age when you're 12 and you're away from home for five days. Um, lots of kids have not been away from home for that long. So it really just let me blossom as a young leader. And so then I went back as a high school leader and I was super involved and it just, all the pieces added up when I was graduating college to start as the marketing coordinator at Outdoor Lab. Um, learning a nonprofit, I think, is something everybody should do because nonprofits really do run like a business. Um, and you just get these amazing skills of running a small business and also working with a board of directors, which is an amazing power of networking. Um, boards are there to support you and they give you connections that you couldn't have ever imagined before. And so I think that was part of the nonprofit side that I loved is that, you know, when you think about a nonprofit, you think about, you know, what they do, but you don't think about all the systems behind the day to day and how hard these people work um, because they're small teams. It's not like you have a team of, you know, a hundred people, typically there are three or four that are doing exactly what a small business does. You have a communications department. That's one person you have, um, like a billing and invoicing department, that's another person in bookkeeping, and then you typically have your executive director in business development. So 
I mean, that's really the side of it that I fell in love with. And I think there's so much good to be done in the world. And how do you pull in those people to get more involved? So that's really... I love that. Wow, Paige, I think you just sparked something in my mind when you said that from your perspective, everybody could use, if you're a young up and coming, especially if you want to be an entrepreneur, business owner, or you want to understand how businesses run, that volunteering or being part of a nonprofit is a good idea. Do, do you have any advice or insights on if someone were to say, yeah, I, I think that sounds cool. I want to learn how this kind of thing runs and word, look, learn how to work with a board. How would they go about deciding or finding the type of nonprofit that might work best for them? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm sure it's going to be different for every person. Um, But I would find, you know, a niche that you're passionate about. If you're passionate about the outdoors, understand, like, outdoor nonprofits. If you're passionate about the medical field, look for medical nonprofits. Um, Especially if you are completing school or you're just looking to make a career change. I mean, internships and things like this are always so important. And nonprofits are always looking for, lack of a better term, free labor. Um, You know, we need those people to come in and really help. So, yeah, I would just do a search, and you could even start by attending one of their events, um, even one of their virtual events. I know a ton of nonprofits are doing those now, so it actually makes it easier on people's schedules to attend. So attend an event and see what they're all about and see if that may be interesting for you to join. And I would even suggest there's always typically somebody that's um, an outreach or community coordinator at a nonprofit and reach out to them directly because they would be your direct contact for volunteering or even doing a small internship. I love that. And what about people that are on the other side of the work continuum or even age spectrum where they've put in their time and now they're looking to maybe give back? Is it something, do they look for that kind of free labor as well? When you talk about a lot of the nonprofits looking for volunteers to either sit on boards or to uh, help the inner workings of those organizations, is that something that is desperately in need uh, right now from your perspective? Absolutely, yes. And I know that, you know, especially serving on a board is, I think it's so rewarding. Um, and you get so much out of it because you are the one that's directing the mission and where the nonprofit goes. Um, so I think that would be great for somebody that may be ending their career or they're just wanting to get more involved or add something to their resume even. You know, sit on a board, definitely. And then volunteering, absolutely. I mean, there is always admin work to be done in nonprofits. <clears throat> There's always training. We always need volunteer trainers, which is another great position for somebody like that where they could come in and then train new volunteers. So, yeah, always work to be done. I love it. Is is uh, the Northern Colorado Medical Society, is that considered a nonprofit or is that a for-profit? It is a nonprofit. We are just classified as a 501c6, so it's a little mm. bit different than 501c3. Um, really, the main difference is it's a membership-based nonprofit. I see. And what is the overall arching mission of your organization at this point? Yeah, so we are here to advocate on behalf of physicians inside of Weld and Larimer County um, to create a healthier physician profession while creating healthier communities. Because when your physicians are taken care of, they're going to be giving better health care to this community. And Northern Colorado is very unique. I mean, Weld and Larimer County, um, you could feel like you're in two different states. Um, very, very different, diverse regions. So how are we communicating on behalf of our physicians from the state level, especially at the legislative level, of things that are getting passed, making sure that our community is getting taken care of and things are being accounted when we think about the diverse region. I see. So then is the main 
audience for the medical society? Is it uh, legislation and is it government? Is that when you say getting taken care of, is that the, the primary communication channel? And if so, is it to say, hey, like, like, what does it mean taking care of? Is it making sure that there's PPE for those treating COVID? Is it make sure that patients are coming in their way? Can, can you give me a little more insight on that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a lot of advocacy. I think that's the perfect word for it. And so, yes, PPE is still something huge. It was really great when it rolled out from the Colorado Medical Society and all the component societies came together to make sure PPE was being given in their communities. Um, really, some of the big focuses now are ensuring that the telehealth legislation is going to stay in this upcoming legislative session, um, making sure that everybody has access to telehealth um, and that family physicians and the diverse specialty in physicians are also being accounted for in telehealth and how they're able to use the technology. Um, as well as medical liability. Because when you think about what COVID has done, it's really started to strain resources um, in physician areas where, you know, people are having to cover areas and hospitals that they haven't had to for a long time. And with telehealth, it, they're having to put off elected surgeries. Um, so making sure that there's legislation being passed that both patients and doctors are being protected. Oh, that's good. So in essence, I hear you say that in one sense, by taking care of the physicians, making sure that they are able to do their job, you are then basically in a secondary way taking care of patients, making sure that they have access to the care they need via telemedicine or other, and then also making sure that these things are, that, that people can be seen for these surgeries and, and the other kind of stuff. So really it's a trickle down for everybody to benefit once the legislation is, is in place to allow that to happen. Is that kind of accurate? Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so have you had a chance so far, Paige, to get to meet a lot of the, the docs? And obviously, you know, you haven't been there long enough to meet all of them. There's lots and lots of them. But have you had a chance to kind of meet some of them and get a sense of what their, their biggest needs are? I am, I am interested, if you have, to hear how they're holding up uh, practicing medicine during what is, you know, unquestionably one of the most unique and strange times that any of us has ever seen. I know for me as a chiropractor, um, although I don't practice every day anymore, I still hold my license. I still treat the, the people at our offices and, you know, a handful of patients that way. And I know how it's affected my ability to do my job and with my colleagues, how many of them had huge financial strains when their businesses were, you know, restricted as to the number of patients they could see, the number of patients, how their conditions got a little tricky. How has that been working for you guys in the uh, in the allopathic world? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So we did just have our um, annual legislative night, which is typically an in-person event, but this year was, of course, virtual. And so that's when all legislators and candidates have the chance to come together that represent this region of the state to connect with our physician members, to really hear them out and understand, you know, what do we need to be focused on this next legislative session? So that's really been my biggest interaction with our physician members thus far. Really, I mean, what we're hearing and, you know, it's interesting because you don't think about all these different layers of COVID and how it affects every single part of our world. Um, and primary care is really what is still suffering um, right now, just because people are scared to go in for just regular checkups. Um, so that revenue has dropped, especially for private practices. So how are we going to continue to support them in this? Um, elective surgeries are starting to slowly get back up to where they were. 
Um, but it's just interesting because you don't think about that side of it and how um, physicians just like everyone else were affected when this pandemic started um, and just in a very different way and especially physician burnout that's always been something that this medical society has focused on and now it's more important than ever um, because if they're doing telehealth from their home physicians never get to leave um, their place of work you know they're doing a telehealth in their living room and then they watch TV with their family an hour later so that work-life balance is just out the window um, so understanding how do we support them and not to wow and have you guys come up with any ways uh, to do that because here's a, the interesting thing with the medical practitioner unless you're unless you're uh, let's say a surgeon or something like that I'm interested to know, and you may not be able to speak too much to this, but maybe you heard something about it. Like, let's say, again, for me as a chiropractor, telehealth for me does me no good because I need to have, I mean, I can give exercise prescriptions and I can show stretches. I can do all that, but I can't adjust a spine. I can't release a tight muscle. I can't put tape on someone's body, guide them through exercise by, by cueing them. None of that happens with the docs. In one sense, okay, well, yeah, you know, I, I'm just like we're seeing each other and we can talk right now and I can say, okay, point to where it hurts. Have they found themselves at all limited in their examination quality um, and their ability to give the best diagnosis and, and treatment options or has that been diminished or, or have they mentioned much about that? Because I know that for us, it's it's a big hampering, uh, the, the telehealth thing has been a, a big hampering aspect versus a help. Yeah, and I that's a great question, and I can't speak too much to that. I just know that there's been challenges, for sure, mm -hmm. um, and just understanding how do we maintain patient relationships, um, and how do we keep putting the patient first when the patient doesn't feel connected to us at all anymore. Um, so that's been the biggest feedback that I've received. Wow, that's so, so powerful when the patient doesn't feel connected. And if the patient, especially, you know, so many doctors, they get into it for all the right reasons. They want to make a difference in their in their communities, and they want to have that connection where they feel that, you know, I can't wait to see Mrs. Jones because I want to help her, you know, go into her next decade as healthy as possible. How or what solutions or at least what possible solutions are there for us to support those doctors? Is there anything that you guys have in mind as an agenda to say to support them mentally and emotionally, like you talked about the burnout and the, the lack of feeling like they can give as good a care as if they were having in-person, they're losing connection. Are, are there kind of items in place that we can strive for to make that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. That's definitely going to be a long process, and we've definitely talked about it as an organization and um, with the board, and really we're trying to figure out what are ways that we can take care of physicians, what is like a physician burnout, you know, help package that we can put together, and what does that look like right now, as well as making sure that um, at the legislative level, this upcoming session as well, mental health is being considered both at the patient side and the physician side, um, so maintaining physician confidentiality programs as well as um, understanding that mental health um, has skyrocketed in, through COVID, um, and that's something that really needs to be considered for patient access to how are we giving patients access um, and better care for mental health. That is so important, and you know it's so interesting because depending on uh, this whole thing seems to have come down to political lines and a lot of political thinking. So you have this this virus that's right in the middle and it doesn't care what who you vote for right and so it's doing what it's doing but then the way that people interpret the data the way that the that it comes down to doctors the things that doctors are told that they can and can't do can and can't prescribe 
it really puts the doctor in a bad position because if the doctor, for example, my understanding is that the, the CDC said, ooh, we have to revise our COVID death number by 94%. Meaning that 94% of them that they said of the 200,000 that died of COVID died with COVID, but not of COVID, that the average person had like 2.4, 2.6 concurrent conditions. But yet what it puts a doctor in a, in a really hamstrung place when they have to treat, you know, their potential license if they give something that you know might not be the the current standard that they think now is their license at risk and all of that goes to physicians having one hand tied behind their back potentially right like if they go with one set of science then they're going to wait and do ventilators well then all of a sudden are ventilators really good or are they hurting people and then if they do this side and the person happens not to get well now could they be sued i feel really really um strongly that the physicians are are in a tough place here so my heart goes out to them yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, that's what our mission is built upon. And we just, when something like this comes up, we try not to get in the weeds. Um, and we just maintain the mission to keep the physicians at heart, um, making sure that we're continuing to create a healthy community. So. Yeah, no question. Do you guys have a ability to bring the physicians together? Because I think if they can't meet with their patients, I think like you talked about with the legislative and having come together, to me, it makes sense where as long as as long as they feel comfortable getting them together in some way, shape, or fashion to talk through this stuff and what they're feeling and how their practices are going and not to commiserate, but rather to hopefully inspire and say, hey, what could we do to, to stay connected as, as a, a peer group or a group of colleagues? Is that something that you guys are involved in? Yeah, absolutely, and that's something that I'm really focusing on right now is how are we um, supporting physicians and our members? Um, because typically we have meet and greets every quarter. You know, we can go to restaurants, we can have yummy food, some drinks, um, and give them that break and give them that networking opportunity as well. That's something huge in the physician world is that they want to network with other docs. Um, and like every other business, we've lost that. Um, so right now we're exploring different options of something called walk with a doc. So we're trying to see if we can coordinate around Northern Colorado, going to open space or parks, um, allowing social distancing and allowing doctors to just take a walk together um, and talk through some stuff. We also have started a physician's book club um, that's all virtual. So we have a new book every month that they can read and then they can get online and discuss it. So still offering those member benefits and those member programs which is why we were created, um, but just having to get creative. So I think walk with a dog, um, unfortunately with the weather, that might have to be put on hold, but in the spring we're hoping to really launch that. I love that. I love that. Have you had many of the docs participate in either the early walks that have been done prior to the changing of the weather and or the book club? Are you noticing that they're gravitating that, or are they still kind of in, in shock and <laughs> trying to figure stuff out, and, and so there's still a big awareness piece that needs to come into play to to get them to even understand that there's an issue and there's a need and and jump on board. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a little bit of both. Um, and it's funny, a rule of thumb that we always say is you have to see something seven times to really digest it. Um, so the book club, we're on our fourth month, and each time we have a couple new physicians that join us. So I think as that continues, we hope that it grows in popularity as long with, along with the walks um, and trying to get more creative with those. Like, do we get a coffee sponsor? Do we get, you know, a donut sponsor, whatever that looks like, um, just trying to bring people together. But, yeah, I definitely think it's an awareness piece. Um, and Zoom fatigue is real. I mean, yes. if you're on Zoom all day, you know, you don't necessarily want to get on in the evening again. 
for book club. Um, so it's it's just hard. It's a hard upward battle for everybody right now. You know what, Paige? I have never heard that term Zoom fatigue. And as soon as you said Zoom fatigue is real, I'm like, yeah. Like, for example, you know, we have our offices here at Ramos Law. We have them open, but we are really restricted on who's here at any one time. And I live about 45 miles from the office and going through town, you know, it doesn't take as long as it used to because the traffic counts are still significantly down from what I'm seeing. But it's still, you know, close to an hour commitment for me to get here. And I'm happy to drive it because I want to see real faces and doing these meetings with you like it's really cool. But to have that that 2D image of a 3D experience for me, yeah. I and, and as a treating provider where that's how you fill your cup up is seeing Mrs. Jones and Mr. Smith and and little Susie and Tommy and that's that's what you do to to really live your mission. Zoom fatigue, man, I I love that term. I never heard it, but I I think we I think we just created a new diagnosis. We're gonna put that in ICD-10. Yeah. <laughs> What, I'm interested, on the book club, what kind of books do, do uh, doctors like to read? Is this something that someone recommends, or is it someone, something that you guys kind of organize? What are the general themes? Are they more science-based, science fiction-based? What, what kind of things do you guys like to read? Yeah, no, it's a mixture of things. So typically, um, we let a physician pick the book. Um, if there's no, like, you know, gung-ho, yes, this is what we want to read, um, a staff member will pick the book. But actually, this book this month is A Man Called Ove, um, which has nothing to do with medicine, nothing to do with science. It's just about this. It reminds me of the movie Up. It's just about this grumpy old man that just needs um, some love. So that's what we are reading this month. Um Last month, it was a book about the Henrietta Lacks cells, um, which there's actually a movie that Oprah stars in, but it's all about these cells that were reproduced um, from a woman of color. And so that was very interesting, you know, with everything going on in the world to read about that, too. Um, and that was much more science-based, and that was a much more scientific conversation. So this month's conversation will probably be much more lighthearted, which I think they need a little bit of both. You know what? I love that idea. And if I were – I think as I'm just thinking through this, if, if I were trying to structure that, I would want to do – I love your term buckets and have buckets of things where now you rotate through because – I think based on our conversation so far, one thing they could all benefit from would be a book on, um, you know, positivity and loving kindness and this kind of thing, mental health type of book, and not as in the diagnosis of mental health, but in just, you know, even a book on meditation or these kinds of things that might not typically be in their wheelhouse. Now's the time for all of us to open up. I'm listening to podcasts now that I've never listened to before in, in genres because I'm like, oh, I want to open my mind up a little bit. So I love the idea. Do you, by the way, do you guys ever do things like podcasts and things where you could get the, the docs to, to share information? I think that would be a really fun way for them to do that as well. Something like what we're doing right now. No, and that's a great idea, and that's actually on my list. That and starting a blog. Um, I think it'd be both would be really interesting just to get out there, um, not only for you know doctors to network, but also patients to see, um, and just community members, and just see you know the different worlds and how we can all work together. I love it, and that's the same mission of this podcast, right? I mean, you're doing what you're doing, yep. and we're not talking about law at all. We're literally talking about someone who's making a difference, and so that people in the community can hopefully get to know a little bit more about you as a person and what your organization does and that they can open up their minds. So I, I think that is a, I think that's a cool thing. Of course, if there's anything that I can do to assist you guys or support you in that effort, please let me know for sure. 
Absolutely, I definitely will. Thank you. Absolutely. So I want to go back now away a little bit from from the business side of things, and I want to talk about you growing up. You grew up in Colorado, right? Yes, I'm mm-hmm. a Colorado native, one of the few left. There's not, there's not many of us here. Yes, I, I'm one of those as well, and it's been it's been something else to to watch the change of uh, of where people live and where they come from and so that's been really neat you when you grew up were you more of a kid who was into school were you into sports were you kind of that combination person what were you like yeah i was a little bit of both really big into student government so like i was the student body president and all of that um and an avid runner so i did both cross country and track um, mm. So those were my sports. Definitely more of like an individual sport type of person. That's mm-hmm. what I always did growing up. I tried soccer once and it just didn't go well. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think student government was probably my favorite thing um, in high school. And then I still did things like that in college. I was a peer mentor. I was an admissions ambassador. So that just was in my blood since day one. Wow. And I, I'm always interested as we're talking about someone's story, what makes them do the things they do and what makes them do the things they did when you look back at running and student government two very different things right there you a lot of times you'll see athletes are athletes and uh, people in the arts are people in the arts and people you know that are into debate and leadership and all that they to see them cross over that is really cool i don't know how common it is anymore um, as especially as if they're into sports, the specialty training that goes into off-season, like there might not be an off-season. Tell me about the link, the connection, and some of the lessons you learned from being both sides, being so well-rounded, both as an athlete, a cross-country and a track athlete, and then in, involved in student government. I'm really interested to hear that. Yeah, no, and I definitely have to thank my dad because he was the one that was always like, try everything um, and see what you like. So I think that's really where it all started. But, I mean, from the sports side of things, running just became um, this amazing sport, but also just mental health for me. Um, I still run every single day because it just clears your mind. Um, I actually did my entire senior high school project on the endorphins that are created and how that's a natural antidepressant. Um, So running became a lot of mental health for you also just this great community where cross country especially um really is a team sport um there's strategy to it you know you're drafting off some of your team members you're doing things like that you're doing tangents and those are things that people don't realize and training together you know is really tough everyone always said in high school that you know our sport was everyone else's sports punishment like nobody <laughs> ever wanted to run it's just what we did every single day um so we did something called hill workouts where we had to run up this hill it was about a half mile and it was like straight up wow to do like 20 rounds where you would just go up and then come back down and it was right in a neighborhood and i remember the neighbors would come out on hill day and sit in lawn chairs and spray us with hoses like it was hilarious oh man it was just awesome um so yeah it was a whole a huge sense of community and then student government I mean, great resume builder for college, for sure. And I think that's where I really found, like, my people. Um, I found that I really gravitated towards those really involved students um, since day one. And I think that's why I fit so well in the nonprofit world, too. We're all the same type of person where we did student government or we're really involved. And we found mentors early in life. And I think that's something that I always really appreciated was finding mentors outside of your family. And that's really what student government gave me. Oh, wow. I love that. And, you know, I am a big fan of 
mentorship at every level. I, I'm still getting information from mentors, and you know now I'm 53 years old, and so I'm I'm always I'm just such a big mentorship fan. Do you have a, a um, any advice if someone's looking for a mentor? How do they find a mentor, and what questions do you ask, or how do you think that you you get to to find a good mentor? That's a great question. I think a lot of mentors come out of friendships, um, like realizing how much your friends are actually giving you in senses like that. And also looking outside of your specific coworkers and looking inside your, the same sphere. So, you know, let's say at a different nonprofit or a different law firm and connecting with somebody that may be at your same level or just a little bit higher. And then just saying, hey, can we grab coffee and just starting the conversation like that? Um, in nonprofits, it's a lot easier to find a mentor because you have a full board of directors that become your mentors. But yeah, I think it's really just being open to the opportunity and just grabbing coffee and just asking questions. And many people, like I have mentors that I have that are younger than me, you know, because I learn from people that are younger than me because they see a different side of things that I don't totally see. So a mentor definitely doesn't always have to be somebody that's older than you. And I think that's a huge misconception when somebody's like, I need to find a mentor. So they like just automatically look for somebody that's 20 years older than them. Like try 20 years younger than you and see what happens. So. I love that. That is great. I've said I love that so many times in this in this episode because you're giving me so many jewels and gems. You know, um, for me, the mentorship side is huge as well. And it's it's one thing I agree where I require mentorship from some folks younger than me in things like technology and other things where, you know, that age group is more hardwired than I am. So I look to them for wisdom and for guidance and then look for people that have trod the path that I want to go on that are ahead of me. And then I like what you said, too, about talking to people who are on the same level as you because they're experiencing things at the same time. So really, I think it broadens the term mentorship out a lot into almost guidance and a sharing, collaboration, I think all that goes into good mentorship. What do you think on the other side of that coin the responsibility is for us to be mentors? Um, for me, that's a big deal, right? Like I really try to say yes to as many opportunities as I absolutely can when someone asks me a question along the lines of, of mentorship. Do you have any thoughts about that and when someone's ready to be a mentor versus just when they're just talking at a surface level that they don't really help anything, they just you know, are essentially getting to hear themselves talk. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I don't think there's ever a moment where you're just absolutely ready to be a mentor. I think it's like when you're ready to be an adult, like are any of us really adults? Not really. True. Um, so I don't think that there's a moment that you're ready to be a mentor. I think that you just always need to realize that so many people helped you to get to where you are today and that you could be that person for somebody else in their journey that you have no idea that you actually did for, did that for. Um, so it's just like you said, being willing to answer questions, being willing to grab coffee with a perfect stranger, even if it's awkward for the first 15 minutes. Like it's just, it's those things that you have to realize you are not the most important person in the world. And so many people realize that to help you get to where you are. So you just have to take a step back and be humble and do the same thing. I am so impressed. Look at all that wisdom flowing out of your young young mind right now. So you have given us so much good stuff here. As, as we kind of bring things in uh, to wind down, have you gotten any of, through your mentorship, through your experience, has there been one 
piece of maybe advice or wisdom that you have used to help you make the biggest impact or that has had the biggest impact on you that you can think of right now? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing, and you know, several people have told me this, um, one of them being Kim Geisler, um, who served on the Outdoor Lab Board. It's a lot of women that have told me this, but it's a very simple phrase that you're just gonna screw up every single day. Um, and that's just the way it is. And I am a perfectionist, so I had a really hard time grasping that. You know, I if I did not get an A plus, like it was the end of the world. Um, if I got an A minus. And it's the same thing with work, where if I, you know, do a typo in an email that we just sent to 800 people that they probably won't even notice, but I know it's there, like I think it's the end of the world. Um, so that's been some of the greatest things that people have told me is you're gonna screw up every single day and half the time people don't know that you did. Um, and just growing and learning, like you're gonna fall down but you always have to stand back up. So I think that's the biggest thing is that you are human no matter what, no matter what position you hold, you're still a human and that's what you have to remember. And that is the best place to be. I, I love it again. I just love it, love it, love it. I think, you know, if, if I could add one thing to that great piece of advice that you shared on we're going to screw up every day, I think being okay with it is one thing. And I think the other side of that coin is also knowing that we get to own it, right? It's, it's through the ownership of our quote-unquote failures where we really get the opportunity to grow. If we were great at everything, we would hit a ceiling much faster and we wouldn't appreciate the struggle to go from point A to point B like we do when we mess up. If we make a typo, if no one catches it, it's okay. And if someone says, hey, you know, you put an extra A in there, you own it. You say, oh yeah. You know, you don't say it was a computer mess up and that doggone Siri dictation. You just say, yeah, you own it. It gives you a chance then to take responsibility and accountability in your own life for your own action, for your own results. So I'm a big fan of that piece of advice. So thank you for sharing that. And as we go on, the, on to the rest of our day, if you were to um, give one piece of advice to anyone listening to this on any topic, whether it was how to get involved in something like what you're doing and how to be successful, how to be a mentor, or just in life message, if you could give one piece of advice, would it be the same thing or would it be something different? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of the same theme, but I would just say like, and it's really cliche, but you can really do anything. Like if a journalism major is now the executive director of an organized medical society and I did not go to med school, like you can just do anything. And I think it's just about taking chances and remembering that you're going to screw up along the way. Um, but that shouldn't be a reason why you don't try and do it. So that would be what I would leave people with. Paige Brophy, one more piece of brilliance that you just shine down on us. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time for literally making this a priority in your busy, busy, busy day. I know that everyone who listens to it is going to get something from it. If if people wanted to ask more, learn more about the Northern Colorado Medical Society, if they had questions, if physicians are hearing this, how would they best reach you? Yeah, you. they can email me, um, which I can say my email if that's the best way to do it. Sure. Or they could just visit the, um, our website and do it that way too. So why don't you give both? Give the website and then uh, if you're comfortable giving your email, feel free. Yeah, so my email is page, P-A-I-G-E, at nocomedsoc.org. And then the website is nocomedsoc.org. So. And NOCO is like Northern Colorado, N-O-C-O, yeah. just so that you guys know that. Yes. All right. Well, Paige, thank you. I appreciate you so much, and I look forward to the next time you're down here or I'm up there for us 
just uh, jumping in for five minutes, talking, giving a big hug, uh, that cup of coffee or whatever tea that we're talking about. And uh, until then, please, please continue to success and, and best of luck to you. Thank you so much.